Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them, the ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I'm sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. An exciting announcement today that Beauty Island has been nominated for an Australian Podcast Award. Yay! We are a finalist for Best Arts and Culture Podcast with the winner announced Saturday the 21st of November. So keep your fingers and toes crossed for me. And whether you've listened to one episode or all of them, just wanted to say thank you to you so much for your support of the podcast. It would not exist without you. But enough of that for now. And on to today's episode. Today, my guest is journalist and editor Gian Yankovic. Now, a little disclaimer that this interview was recorded earlier this year in May. Now, that's a few months ago in normal times, but in 2020, well, let's just say a lot has changed since we talked. When we recorded, Gian was living in New York in the midst of a terrifying first wave and strict lockdown. She was also the managing editor of renowned fashion-turned-culture site, Man Repeller. Since we spoke, there have been a succession of changes with the site, a call-out, a redesign, and then, most recently, the announcement of the closure of the site. And I'll put a link in the show notes of some good articles that kind of explain what was going on, what's happened. But before that, before that happened, Gian left Man Repeller, moved back to Australia, where she is from, and is now the managing editor of Junkie. If you grew up reading Aussie magazines in the 20-teens, you'll no doubt recognise Gian's face from the pages of certain magazines. Born in Bathurst before moving to Sydney to pursue a career in the glossy world of magazines, Gian was a beauty editor for the likes of Clio, Cosmo and Dolly before moving to digital to help form BuzzFeed Australia's founding team. She's brilliant, talented and she has the best and longest natural lashes I have ever seen. We talk through the mascaras that bookmark her beauty journey, the legend of the office tanning salon frequented by beauty editors, applying foundation with your fingers and what exactly are the Saturday spirals. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts or click follow on Spotify if you haven't already or you can recommend to a friend or many friends by sharing a screenshot on your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. As an independent podcaster, all those things, the, the reviews, the follows, really help more people to discover the podcast so I can keep making it for you. Now over to Gian. Gian, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm very excited to have you from New York chatting with you today. A good place to start, I think, when we're talking about the beauty products that have had a significant, have a significant memory or are important to us is that first memory of beauty. So if you could cast your mind back, what is kind of your earliest memory around beauty? So I've been thinking about this 
A lot. And I knew it was coming because it is always the first question asked. So I have this very clear memory. Clear in that I remember this moment of putting my mum's mascara on and being absolutely astonished, but also slightly horrified by how long my eyelashes looked. I can't remember whether it was before a wedding or, you know, an anniversary party or something like that. But I remember going to my mom and like running out of the bathroom with this mascara on this Maybelline great lash, which I just have so many feelings about because I did not think it's a good mascara. But for some reason, it was the only mascara my mom ever owned. And I was like, mom, I look like a monster. And she was like, no, no, like you look fine. It looks great. And I just had this really overwhelming feeling that I could not believe that one product could make me look so different. And I think that that's something that's really stuck with me when it comes to mascara. The feeling that I have when I don't have it on to when I have it on is just, you know, opposite ends of the scale. And yeah, so I think that that moment is definitely very defining for me and something that I've still still carried with me, albeit a lot more positively now. Because you do have the most amazing long eyelashes and you've put uh, a few mascaras that have kind of followed you over the journey since that first discovery. So we've got the Max Factor False Lash Effect, Maybelline Lash Sensational and NARS Climax. So tell me a bit about your favourites there or your memories around those. Yeah, so it's so funny because I really feel like I can kind of split the last, what, 15 years of my life almost, I guess, up into these different mascara stages. In high school and the start of uni, I was all about Max Factor False Lash Effect. I literally remember getting my pay from Supre where I worked and running over to Priceline, which was on the opposite side of um, the shopping center and like saving up my $20 to buy Max Factor False Lash Effect or buy two of them if they're on sale, which was a great day. Then I had a brief love affair with Benefit Their Real mascara when I was a beauty editor And I just love that so much. I still think that's a great mascara. I actually don't wear it at the moment because I find it too hard to wash off, which I think is something that a lot of people say about that mascara, although it is great. And then I, when I finished up being a beauty editor and I was back to buying my own products, I was like, you know what, Gian, like you can't buy Benefit They're Real anymore. Like I go through mascara so quickly because I use so much of it and I wear it every single day. I was like, let's just try um, a more affordable option. And that was when I found Maybelline Lash Sensational, which is such a good mascara. I really, really recommend it if you're looking for a more affordable option. And then that brings us to the present day where I came across NARS Climax. It was recommended to me by a friend who I worked with at BuzzFeed. She was on the beauty team. And I just love it. I mean, it's a controversial mascara, I think, (laughs) as controversial as mascaras can get because it is a fiber mascara, which I normally don't like, but I'm pretty confident saying that it's the longest my lashes have ever looked is where I'm wearing NARS Climax. It's really, really great. I think that's a really interesting point as well, particularly obviously a perk of working in beauty is you get to try so many products. But I think a slight downside is that is because sometimes when you aren't paying them for yourself, by yourself, you kind of I think that that's kind of the the biggest endorsement, isn't it? Whether you would purchase it yourself after, but also obviously working in beauty, you eat at a lot of places, you try a lot of places. Like obviously most people don't have $300 to spend on like a La Mer cream or something like that. So it's a bit of, it's always interesting to see what you reach for afterwards if you move out of beauty or the ones that you decide to purchase for yourself. Totally. And I love Benefit. I buy Benefit um, my browsing's palette that I've used for years and years and years for is from Benefit and I love their brow gel. I think 
because I knew that I could maybe find another mascara that I love just as much as their real. I let that one fall by the way, but I do stick to benefit for my brow products. I love it so much. It's such a great brand. Now you grew up in Bathurst, is that right? I did. I did. So tell me about what uh, the young or teenage version of you was like. Oh God, that's really casting it back. In some ways, I think very similar to myself, very studious, very friendly. I was always lucky to have a great group of friends, um, big ambitions. You know, I was really excited to move away from Bathurst. I hoped to do so when I was in uni, but um, CSU Bathurst has such a great journalism course. I would, you know, stuck, stayed there for a few more years. It's funny. I mean, obviously people grow up a lot more remotely than Bathurst versus Sydney, but it was really funny when I was deciding what to go to uni for and what to do after it was really hard because I didn't actually know anyone who worked in media. I'd never met anyone who worked in media. I didn't had never met anyone who was a journalist or a writer. It was very much like look through the course book of universities and figure out what to do. You know, neither of my parents went to university. I was really going into it blind. And I was sitting in English one day and I was like, you know, I like writing, but I also like art. Magazines kind of seemed like the best of those both worlds. Of course, not knowing what roles were at different magazines at all just thinking like yeah I'll surely be able to write things and probably like lay out the pages as well um <laughs> but yeah so it was interesting going from Bathurst school and uni to then Sydney and magazines straight away and I think that magazines particularly Cosmo is where I really grew up from that girl that I was in Bathurst. In terms of your early years, so you were the Cosmo editorial coordinator, I think in about 2010. Obviously, you had wanted to start in magazines, to leave Bathurst. So tell me about those early years in Sydney and magazines. I mean, it was an amazing and tumultuous time. I mean, it was incredible. And I met so many amazing women that were so unlike anyone I had met before. And it was also my first time living out of home. I was studying by distance. It was just like I really upended my whole life at that time, but in a really, really wonderful way. I mean, so many now, most of my good friends I met through working in magazines, working at Bauer, um, which was then ACP. So it was just incredible. I honestly felt like the luckiest girl in the whole world to be at Cosmo and to be with these people. And every day I just woke up thinking that I was yeah, so lucky. And I was just, you know, so, so privileged to be there and get to see all of these people every day. I just could not get enough of it. Like the weekend would come to a close and I like would never get Sunday scaries. I was like, oh my God, like what's going <laughs> to happen at Cosmo this week? You know, what's everyone going to say? And everyone had the funniest stories and was so cool. And, you know, I was, I was writing stuff for a magazine. Like I could hardly believe it. I was studying journalism at uni and I was absolutely hopeless writing news journalism. And I was like, oh my God, like this is where I meant to be. The whole time I was there, I was just very much in awe for those first few years. The second product on your list is the one that kind of defined your teens and 20s. And I love this one because I know it's something that many people will share, which for you is the Saint-Tropez tanning mousse. So tell me a bit about that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny. I was actually talking to one of my colleagues at Mandrapillo about this today. We were talking about how we haven't seen the sun in so long because we've been inside our apartments for a little over two months now. And I was telling you how I used to have this like obsession with fake tan, but it wasn't just me, like everyone did. And at Bauer, there was 
the spa underneath and beauty has got this um like saint tropez card and you could go and you could get spray tans anytime you want and i just think back to it now and i can't believe it i used to go down there and get three coats of saint tropez spray tan and i'm like a pale person (laughs) and i just i mean i don't think i ever went too over the top but definitely like i look at the photos of my 21st and i am orange it's it's crazy, but I mean, I still go to that product. I still have two things of Saint Tropez in my cupboard and my mitt. And still, if I have somewhere special that I want to go, very rarely, I'd say a couple of times a year, I'll do my tan now. And I mean, with a much lighter touch than I used to, but it just reminds me so much of being in my early twenties. And, and that time when every Friday night or every weekend is like really an event, you know, I was going out a lot more and I would go down and get my spray tan on a Thursday and kind of like marinate in it that night to have Friday night drinks with the girls. It was just, it just reminds me so much of that time and such a different attitude towards beauty as well. Because for me now getting a spray tan and sleeping in the tan and having to go to all of that effort isn't really worth it unless it is something special. But back then everything was special enough for a tan. You know, I was like desperate for any excuse to get a spray tan. (laughs) And you worked your way up to beauty editor of Cleo and Dolly and along with Cosmo, you know, three iconic Australian mags and particularly with Dolly, which does have a younger audience. You know, this is a lot of people's first interaction with beauty and advising them on products and, and things like that. When you look back on on, on those years as well what's kind of the thing that you're you're most proud of doing in those roles or, or the best part of, of of that job Dolly was such a special place and I remember when I got the job before I'd started Alexis Teasdale actually pulled me aside and she was like this is the best job you're ever going to have and I was like wow like you know like I said it's going to be the best job I ever had and I remember thinking just even a few weeks into it I was like she was so right it was such a special team and what really stands out to me from that time is how much we really cared about the magazine and cared about the readers. And I think that that came through in the pages so, so much. I mean, I still have people who reach out to me on Instagram or over email and say, you know, I've been reading you since Dolly days. And that it was a different time back then to be reading someone and have that name recognition and and trust their recommendations meant so much more because there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't videos, you didn't really have much contact with this person. So that level of trust was so much harder to build up because you were just having these. I mean, at Dolly, I had 10 beauty pages in each issue. So you got this such light contact with the readers, but I felt such a close connection to them. And I loved, loved working on teen stuff so much. So I was really happy. I mean, not happy when they merged the Dolly and Clear times because that was a very traumatic situation for 22 year old me. But I was really happy that when I did start as beauty editor at Clear that I still got to work on Dolly because it really was my my passion, I think. And it was it was really sad when that magazine closed a few years ago because I think it was a huge loss. It was really special. The third product on your list is the one that you always repurchase or is a bit of a staple, which is the Clinique Moisture Surge CC Cream. I haven't tried this. Tell me about this one. You know, I don't feel like many people have tried this and I don't know how I stumbled across it. I think that I must have got it sent to me back when I was at Clio or Dolly and I've honestly used it ever since. I will say that I do hesitate to recommend this product to people sometimes because it only has three shades, so it's not all that inclusive. And people that I have recommended to do have a tough time finding their shade. But for me, the medium is absolutely perfect. And the formula is just 
so, so nice. Like whenever I get a compliment on my skin, chances are that's what I'm wearing. It's so hydrating and it just gives that real, real dewiness. And as a CC cream, it's so color correcting. And I just, I get dermatitis. I'm prone to dermatitis and eczema. So it really takes the redness out of my skin whenever I have it. And yeah, it's just, it's a great product. And I'm, I mean, I would love to know or hate to know actually how many how many purchases I've made of this CC cream because it would be a lot and a whole lot of money. And when you apply, are you using your hands, a brush or sponge? What's your preference for this product? For this product and for all foundation, I use my fingers. I remember working with a makeup artist, Natalia Sprem, and she was just all about applying with fingertips. And she, I mean, she was such a like a fun and vivacious character. So I just like hung on her every word whenever we had a shoot and we got her to work. But she was like, you just want to feel the product in your fingers and you want to warm it up and really, really just let it melt into the skin. So it's this real tactile experience. And I think that I don't get that when I apply with a brush or with a beauty blender. I always feel like I'm putting more product than I need on than when I use my fingertips. In 2015, you left magazines to join BuzzFeed Australia when it launched here. What sparked that change from magazine to digital and how was it? Because you were really setting the tone of what lifestyle for BuzzFeed Australia was as the lifestyle editor. Yeah, so I was the first lifestyle hire at BuzzFeed Australia when I started there was only six people on the team. And then I started on the same day as I think another six. So we really, really grew the brand. But I think at the time, I mean, one, I didn't feel like I had job security in magazines at that time, which, you know, I was still so young and I didn't have any savings or any safety net to fall back into. And I was really, really worried about losing my job after I felt like I might've potentially lost it when Dolly and Cleo merge. So that was definitely one factor. I remember when I started at BuzzFeed, our our founder, Simon, um, said, okay, everyone gather around. It's a team meeting. And I instinctively was like, oh my God, they're going to shut down BuzzFeed Australia, <laughs> and which they weren't. But I mean, it was just this real panic because I was so worried working at magazines at the time. Um, also, I was just worked in beauty for a few years then, which felt like a lifetime back then it obviously feels like a shorter amount of time now because I've been working longer but I was really ready to write more lifestyle content versus just beauty and BuzzFeed has always been such a flexible workplace if there's something that you want to write about and you're passionate about you can do so and I was really thankful for that in my time there and I was just ready to go digital and I think that my writing is a lot better for it I picked up so many skills at BuzzFeed that I just couldn't have got in magazines because we operated in such a different way So there were a lot of catalysts to that move, but it was definitely a good one. And obviously there, and you went on to work at BuzzFeed in the US a bit later as well. As you mentioned, lifestyle and beauty encompasses so many things, including, you know, mental health and and so many more conversations that we're having around that space. When you look back at the lifestyle pieces you wrote at BuzzFeed, both in Australia and US, is there a certain topic or article or conversation that you helped start that you are really proud of? So when I was at BuzzFeed in the US, one of the last projects I worked on was relaunching our health and wellness brand, Goodfall. It's kind of changed pace since I left BuzzFeed, but at the time I was writing a lot about sustainability, which I really, really loved. Um, And it's something that BuzzFeed has continued to report on in a lifestyle way since I left. So that was really, really interesting because it's something that I personally cared about. And it was something that was really generating a lot of interest at the time. So it was really fun. So I think that sustainability and low waste 
content. It was very different to stuff that I'd written before. And for that reason, I really enjoyed it. It was a, it was a good experiment and it got a really good reaction. The fourth product on your list is one that you did mention a little earlier, which contributes to what you feel is your signature look, which is the benefit browsing. Uh, Tell me a bit more about uh, that product and and how you use it. Yeah, so I actually remember very clearly the first time I ever used this product. It was before one of Lee Campbell, who I'm sure everyone listening would know is the executive editor at Mamma Mia, but she was one of my good friends because we worked at Cosmo together. I was her beauty assistant. It was her birthday and I was at her apartment and I was like, I want to touch up my makeup. And before that, I don't even know what brow product I'd been using, maybe a pencil, but she handed over this little palette of benefit browsing and was like, use this. And I just, one thought it was so special because I was like using Lee's makeup and I was just (laughs) very obsessed with her as I still am. But I just loved it so much and I've used it ever since. I actually don't know if I know how to do my brows any other way than with that brow wax and powder it's it's just so good and so easy and I have such muscle memory from doing it so many times that it just takes me a second it gets my brows exactly how I like them and then I can just walk out the door between BuzzFeed Australia and BuzzFeed US I think you took a little time out to do some travel which looked amazing with your then boyfriend now fiance who I think you actually went to school together with yes Michael and I did go to school together he was two years above me at Bathurst High School which is very funny whenever I say that to people they ask if we've been together since high school and we have not there was six years between finishing high school and us running into each other at a party that we didn't talk at all but it's definitely really great having a partner that grew up at the same place as you there are just I mean so many funny shared stories and it's just so much easier we get to pay visit our parents who live in the same place (laughs) it's very handy but yes we took this amazing trip that was six months between BuzzFeed Australia and BuzzFeed US and our move to New York which was really special and was that all the journey to get there through the six months traveling was the plan always to end up in New York and I suppose having that time I know you were freelancing at the time as well having that time out to explore and I suppose reflect on not just your career but things in general are there any kind of lessons or or memories that you really treasure it and take from that time? I've been thinking about that time a lot actually because a lot of people have been asking how Michael and I have been going in quarantine in our apartment and I just I think that the trip really prepared us for this to be honest (laughs) because for two and a half months of the trip we were living in a van when we were road tripping around the states and I mean if you can live in a van with someone for over two months you can live in a one-bedroom apartment with them for two months. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I mean, I'd been working full-time since I was 19 and I was becoming really, not not resentful, but I was feeling really jealous of my friends who had taken a gap year or were taking these extended holidays or just who had more time after uni to figure themselves out and to take time off. And I mean, obviously that's such a privileged thing to be able to do, to take a holiday. And I, I finally felt in a position after working for eight years in Sydney that I'd, I'd saved up the money and I had also established my career in a way that I felt confident that I would be able to get freelance gigs and I would be able to get another job if I came back. And again, felt confident-ish, confident-ish that when I moved to New York City, which was the plan, that I would at least be able to get some interviews and see where it took me. And making that move to New York and, and America, I think there's a really interesting, obviously every country and nationality has a different interpretation of beauty. What do you think stands out most of how Americans talk about or or view beauty compared to Australia? I mean, America is such a crazy place because it's so big and they have 
they have literally everything here. And I think that perceptions of beauty is the same. It's different everywhere. But in New York, I have been really taken aback by the minimalist approach to beauty. And that's especially true somewhere like Man Repeller. I mean, in our office, I would say it's a 50-50 split between people who wear absolutely no makeup ever, unless it's maybe a lick of, you know, glossier mascara to their friend's wedding or people who wear makeup every day like me. But even then, it's a very minimal, you know, base brows and lash. In New York, it's, again, not that fake tan culture. I don't see anyone out in fake lashes, which I would in Sydney. It's this a similar, like you don't really see many people out in high heels. It's a lot more laid back in that sense. Or I think maybe not laid back because I do, I will say that there's a real effort put into that, this <laughs> effortless New York cool girl look that um that everyone's very invested in here but it is very different the perception of beauty and I think that Australia definitely has its signature look in its in its tan and its great brows and its beachy waves and very tussled look obviously that's not everywhere in Australia but that's definitely what I see in my friends and in a lot of people in the beauty industry as well what about when it comes to say your skincare regime going from the Australian climate to New York and America did you have to make any significant changes I know a lot of friends who say move to London find that their skin completely changes and they have to kind of start afresh mine hasn't been too bad but I will say that I was really taken aback by the humidity in New York City because I always used to complain about how humid it was in Sydney Mm. it is not humid in Sydney at all compared to New York it's crazy over here so I definitely do notice my skin freak out in the change of seasons I mean especially when you're going from a freezing cold winter where you know a minus 10 degree day is just normal and then you're going into an extremely balmy extremely humid spring where it rains nearly every day of the week my dermatitis always flares up a bit around then it's always a bit funny the fifth product on your list is one of the ones that you would almost kind of trust with your life which is a one of my favorites as well which is the go-to face hero uh face oil tell me about why you regard this one so highly I mean, it's just such a wonder product. I have been into her face oils for many years since the big face oil boom of whenever that was, when it was <laughs> it was all the rage and everyone was releasing a face oil, which was a great time. And I was obsessed with her hobo oil. I always found rosehip a little too rich, but her hobo oil was always for me. And then recently I got back from my last trip to Australia when I'd gone into Priceline and bought the biggest jojoba oil I could find. And it just wasn't sitting on my skin the way it used to. I don't know if it is the weather. I don't know if my skin's changed, but it just wasn't working for me. And around that time, I found myself with a bottle of Go-To Face Hero. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. This is great. I love the packaging. I love Zoe. And I just am obsessed with it. It's so great. And it just sinks into the skin. And it's been really, really good for my dermatitis and skin issues it's just a dream I'm using the oil cleanser fancy face at the moment as well and it's just it's such a dream I love it so much and I really do feel fancy when I put it on (laughs) exactly now at the time that we're recording this interview the Australian media and media all around the world is going through uh, an enormously tough time with lots of shutdowns and job changes which is horrible to see whether you work in the industry or not. I know, and this is obviously only if you feel comfortable talking about this at all, because I know you finished up at BuzzFeed last year. And as people, and I have a lot of conversations with on this podcast as well, particularly with like Alexis Teasel, who you mentioned when 
you know, your identity and career are so, you feel like it's so linked to a particular title or what you do. And when you find yourself in the space of not having that or kind of reassessing who you are and what, what you want to do, did you have any advice or reflections that you would share for anyone who is in that situation at the moment, if you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, of course. I mean, being laid off and made redundant is absolutely devastating. And I think that one of my tips would be to tell your friends that it's devastating. I kind of went through the first few days thinking, no, this is fine. I'm going to put on a brave face. You know, I want people to look back at this and say, oh, Gyan handled that so well. And then I got to the point and I was like, who is this benefiting? Like, tell your friends you're having a tough time. If they are asking you how they are, how you are, tell your friends you're having a tough time. It's it's hard because it's one of those situations where no one can make you feel better. And people can say, you're amazing and you're talented. And for most of the people who are being laid off, they know because it's, the media is a really tough industry. And if you've made it far enough and you've got a job to get laid off from, you're going to be pretty good at it, you know? So... I think just take the time, try and do what you can to surround yourself with friends who are empathetic, friends that are going to check in on you, friends that are going to let you have a little sook if you need, and also connect to your former colleagues if that's something you feel comfortable doing. I was lucky in that when I got laid off from BuzzFeed last year, it was my whole team that got let go and they've become some of my closest friends in New York City since that and we really stuck by each other through every job interview, every job rejection, every cover letter, every job application. We celebrated all of us getting new jobs and everyone's really killing it now. And we we really have that camaraderie that I feel so thankful for. So yeah, I would advise people to just pull their people tight, tell, like ask for what they need and just talk it out as much as you can, because often that's all you can do, especially with the industry, the way it is now, it's no longer as easy as saying to someone, oh, you'll find something. Or I see people retweeting all these job losses with someone hire them. And it's kind of getting to the point where it's like, well, who's going to hire them? You know, that's that's not always helpful to hear. So I think in the same vein, if you're one of your friends loses a job, just ask them how they're doing every few days because it changes so much. Some really important reminders. And like you said, I loved how you framed it of how other people can help when it's not you in the situation, it's your friends as well. So thank you so much for sharing. I really, and I think a lot of people will really appreciate hearing that. You are now the managing editor of Man Repeller. Tell me a bit more about what that involves. Yeah. So as managing editor of Man Repeller, I oversee our editorial calendar primarily, oversee the scheduling of all our stories. I write some stories. I edit some stories. I work really closely with our executive editor, our brand strategist, our partnerships team, our creative team. I set deadlines for everyone. I work really closely on every story kind of from getting it into Asana, which is our project management tool to making sure the art team have what they need, make sure the writer have what they need, make sure it's getting to the editor on time, um, kind of everything to literally scheduling the posts on the website. So we have a really small team at Man Repeller. So I definitely think that we're lucky and that everyone who works there gets to work across teams and gets to work with everyone. And it's a really collaborative environment. And what's your personal favorite part of what you do? I mean, I have been such a long time fan of Man Repeller. It's definitely the staff that I feel the most thankful for. Everyone there is so intelligent and so cool and so funny and just our conversations we have every day. And I truly love 
reading everything that everyone writes. And I can't say that about every job that I have had, and I'm sure most people wouldn't, you know, it's not like I sat down and read BuzzFeed from top to bottom every day, but what we achieve from having such a small team is really impressive. One of the things I love most about Man Repeller is, and again, you can't say this about a lot of or all media places, is that the comment section of Man Repeller is always such a lovely place with people sharing and exchanging thoughts and ideas related to obviously all the fantastic content you do. And you really seem to have uh, such a skill in capturing the zeitgeist or a feeling that people are also feeling. I mean, particularly I'm thinking of an article that you wrote not too long ago about the Saturday spirals, which just tapped into something that me and and by the comments and the reaction that so many other people were feeling as well. And I know you get to do a bit more writing now at Man Repeller. Tell me a bit about, I suppose, the Saturday spirals for people who haven't read that article, because I think it's something a lot of people will relate to and kind of that, that power as well. The idea of the Saturday spirals is that feeling when you wake up, you know, maybe you're a bit hungover or maybe you've slept late and then you just kind of mess around. Like for me, it's sitting and scrolling on my phone, taking ages to have a shower, not really doing anything, just wanting wandering from one end of my palmer to the other, having a, you know, sad brekkie. And then you look up and it's 2 p.m. and you feel like your whole weekend's gone down the drain. You look on Instagram and other people are all totally dressed. Other people are at brunch and you're like, oh, my God, I've wasted my whole weekend. You know, it's slipping away and you really just spiral out of control. And how, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a different time now, but did you get or take away anything from what people were saying when they were saying they also felt the Saturday spirals or how have you kind of managed expectations or or come to terms with them? It was really reassuring the reaction on that story actually because I feel like when you do find yourself getting upset over something that does sound a bit dumb you know like I get sad on Saturday mornings because I feel like I haven't seized the day when you get a good reaction you're like oh no wait we're all in this together and we're all feeling the same way and not everyone's having the best Saturday morning of their life except for me. So that was really good. And it was even funny because the weekend after the story published, I woke up and I checked my phone at like 9am and my good friend Jess had texted me and she said, this is a text, intercept your Saturday spiral, let's go get a coffee. And I just got up straight away and I had a shower and I was like, okay, intercept it. And it's funny because that's something I've actually been trying to do at the moment as well. Obviously, I'm not going anywhere on the weekends, but still... I try and get up at my normal time. I try and have a shower. I try and put on, you know, an outfit that isn't just pajamas. Try and have a coffee, try and have breakfast because once you get those little things out of your way for the day, then even if you do just want to sit down and watch Love Island Australia for the whole day, which is what I did last Saturday, you still feel like you've achieved something because you got up and you got dressed and you got ready. I love that. The next two products on your list are two of your favorites. So we've got your favorite foundation and your favorite hair product. So for hair, we've got the Way Texturizing Hairspray and foundation, a discontinued one, which is, you know, the worst beauty news you can get a lot of the time. Tell me about those two. So this is funny because I actually did not realize that L'Oreal Lumi Magic was even discontinued until a few weeks ago, which is actually quite horrendous because that means I've had that foundation for a very, very long time since I think when I lived in Australia, which was over three years ago. But that is because I 
wear the Clodex CC cream all the time, but I went to my friend's house and she had Lumi Magique and I was like, how great is this foundation? And she was like, I know, like how sad that it's discontinued. And I was like, what the hell? But it's a great foundation. If anyone has any recommendations for anything similar, please let me know because that foundation is going to run out one day and I'm going to be very sad. As for the Way Hair Texturizing Spray, I have very, very thin and fine hair. And what I don't want to have is thin and fine hair. I love big bouncy hair and to get that I have to add so much product to it this product for anyone who hasn't used it it's kind of like a hairspray dry shampoo hybrid and it smells so good I don't know if you've used it but I'm obsessed with the smell they actually released a fragrance that's the same smell from the hairspray which I got and had been wearing but then I was like I feel weird smelling like my favorite hairspray but that's how good the fragrance is they made it into an actual fragrance. I am probably a bit late to this, but I feel like I've seen that happening a fair bit. I know that I saw the other day that Nivea, you can now buy the scent of their sunscreen, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of people obviously associate it with summer holidays and things like that. That is so interesting. And you know what? That is something that I would purchase right now where I'm just like desperate (laughs) for any kind of hint of summer in my life. Obviously working in the industry a long time, now your realm is uh, expanded outside of beauty, but you obviously spent a lot of time in beauty. What have you learned about separating kind of the good and the genuine from the almost fad in terms of beauty and wellness? What what gets you excited when you think about beauty? That is a very good question. I think that one person who I look to a lot and I think does a great job in beauty writing is Rio from The Strategist, who is their skincare writer and just has had a million viral articles. And I would honestly buy anything that she recommends. And I have bought so much stuff that she's recommended. With beauty at the moment, I think because the space is so crowded that when people write in the more traditional ways of kind of this recommendation with without any face behind it or without any anecdote behind it and you feel like has this person even tried this product it just doesn't resonate in the way that you know people on Instagram or people like Rio um, I have a great beauty contributor at Mandrapella Sable Young who I highly recommend following she does amazing makeup but The same for a lot of makeup artists on Instagram as well, actually. When you see them using the products and you trust that it's a person behind it, I think that's when good beauty content is created. And a lot of the time that itch isn't scratched for me when it's a faceless byline on a website or in a magazine. It just doesn't make me want to buy. It doesn't make me want to experiment. It doesn't make me want to move away from what I'm used to. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose on that The final product on your list is your greatest discovery. So this is one that you obviously really love, which is the Dr. Jart Brightening Solution Sheet Mask. Tell me about this one. This is just the best mask I've ever used. This is one mask that if I wear it, I know that I'll get a compliment on it on my skin the next day. I think that all the Dr. Jart masks are great they have this rubber mask I don't know if you have tried them but I find that the the rubber just like slip slides off my face so this is just a more traditional sheet mask and it's just it really is just so brightening I have one in my cupboard at the moment and I'm scared to use it because I'm like I need to use this for a special occasion like my last one that I used was before a friend's wedding and I used them after a long flight I basically just use them when I'm like I want my skin to look amazing this day But I mean, if I could just have a lifetime supply of them, I would honestly use them every day. It's just, for me, it's the best mask. And if someone has a better recommendation, I would be highly, highly surprised if it's better than Dr. Jarts. But look, I'll give anything a go. (laughs) 
We've talked a bit about obviously how things have changed working in beauty and uh, and since you went more into the lifestyle space and, and now with your current role at Man Repeller. When you look back over, I suppose, those chapters of your life, have you noticed any significant change in your relationship with beauty, how you view it? I have. I think I definitely wear a lot less makeup now than I ever have in my life. And I think that that's just because I'm a bit of a sponge and will kind of not do whatever everyone else around me is doing. But in the same way that when I lived with another beauty editor when I was in Sydney or I'm seeing the beauty girls at functions all the time when I was a beauty editor. I really wanted to do what they were doing, not because I wanted to be them or copy them, but just because it was conversation. I was seeing inspiration all the time and I wanted to channel that energy and try it myself. So that has definitely changed the makeup. Also, I think that just beauty, the whole beauty world is very different from when I was in magazines. I mean, I remember at Clio, I was still putting in stories tips like, you know, apply your concealer after foundation, not before, which I mean, I'm sure that like even the teens know that. I mean, the teens know so much about beauty, but (laughs) I'm in some Facebook groups as well, like uh, the ordinary Facebook group or some other Facebook groups. And these people are like skincare scientists. Like I'm like, I can't keep up, you know, I know what I like for my skin and that's that. But there are some things where I'm like, this has gotten too much for me now, you know, (laughs) like the Korean skincare and all the ingredients. And it's just, it's changed so much that I think, actually think that if I were to be in a traditional beauty editor role now, I would have a lot to brush up on. The level of consumer knowledge now is is wonderful and also crazy. It's really overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. And I'm even now, like if I want to buy a product, I will Google it and I'll read the reviews because I'm like, it feels like so much more than just buying a new face cleanser. It feels like it's an investment. It feels like it's an experiment. It feels like if you hunt for long enough, you'll be able to find the best cleanser that's ever been used. And there'll be 500 stories written about it and 2000 customer reviews. So it's really changed in that instance. There are so many more voices in the industry in a really good way and so many more products. But yeah, there's so much more knowledge out there. It's really it's really interesting. Who is someone or who are people who you feel have really shaped or inspired you either personally or professionally? Personally, when it comes to beauty, definitely Lee, who definitely really took me under her wing when I was at Cosmo. Also, I mentioned living with a beauty editor before, and that was actually Sarah McLean, who was recently the beauty director at Elle. She's in marketing at Mecca now. But she and I moved in together when I first moved to Sydney when I was 19. I was um, editorial coordinator at Cosmo and she was editorial coordinator at Shop Till You Drop. And she lives and breathes beauty in the best way. And she is so knowledgeable. And I mean, she has the best hair in the world. And living with her, I just, my eyes were just opened to this whole love of the industry and makeup and hair and all of that. So she and Lee definitely, in terms of my beauty career. Um, I had a really excellent editor at BuzzFeed Australia, Rachel Miller, who is now one of my good friends. And she definitely helped me grow a lot as a writer and also just a person. She's a really great friend and a really empathetic person. Um, But she really pushed my writing to be a lot better, which was interesting because at the time that I started at BuzzFeed in New York, I'd been working as a writer for over 
eight or nine years. And not that I didn't think I could get any better, but I wasn't, no, I, I wasn't not open to it, but I wasn't going into the job expecting to learn quite so much. And she really taught me a lot there. And then personally, I mean, my fiance, Michael is just such a gem and he inspires me to be a better person every single day. Cause he, in my eyes is just truly the best human. And my mom, I mean, that's such a cliche answer, but she is such an incredible woman and she's really so inspiring to me. I mean, I've met and worked with so many incredible women, but my mom's really the standout. Not a cliche answer at all. And I imagine that the things that you have learned from those people as well might have informed what I'm going to ask you next, which is about the idea of success. When you think about success and, and when you feel like you are successful or you will be successful, what does that look like to you? That's something that has definitely changed a lot. When I was younger and in my early 20s and just starting out in the industry, I felt like my idea of success was so closely tied to my job title and where I worked and how much clout that held which for obvious reasons is not a great place to be. Obviously, I'm very passionate about my career and very proud of everything I've achieved. But at the moment, I think success is really just about peace and feeling comfortable with who you are and feeling faith that the people around you are always going to support you and that you're a good friend to them. I mean, that's a kind of pretty boring answer, but it's been Again, sorry to keep bringing it back to this pandemic situation, but I've had a lot of time to think. At the moment in New York, we're kind of really seeing what life is look, looks like when you have everything stripped away except for work. We're stuck in our apartments and we're working from home. And to be honest, like I love my job, but being stuck at home with only work to do isn't that great. You know, I have realized more than ever how much joy I have from being able to see my friends, from being able to be outside, from having the freedom to go where I want and have fun and see live music and eat out at restaurants. So I really think that freedom is (laughs) the answer to happiness. You know, you can achieve so much from your job, but without the people that make you happy and somewhere that you feel safe, it's, it doesn't really matter that much. And on that note, for an ideal Sunday, where a global pandemic isn't happening, what would you be doing? Oh, an ideal Sunday. That is very lovely to imagine. I mean, it would definitely just include all of my friends being together. It would be summer. We would be sitting outside somewhere. We'd be having a long brunch with a lot of margaritas, which is what (laughs) my friends and I do a lot of weekends over here when this isn't all going on. It would just be surrounded by friends and good food and drinks, maybe some music at some point. If it was going to be a really perfect day, it would probably include some dancing later on in the evening. But yeah, good weather and good people, I think. That's all I ask for. Hopefully it won't be too long until you can be doing all that again. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. You have talked me through the eight products that have a special memory or meaning for you or the ones that you just love. And now I have to ask the big question, which is if you could take just one of those products that you've spoken about today with you to Beauty Island, which one would you take? And a disclaimer that it doesn't have to be practical. It can be just for what it represents to you. And I will be supplying you with an endless amount of your chosen sunscreen as well. So with that in mind, (laughs) which one would you pick? It would have to be a mascara. I mean, I just don't feel like myself if I don't have mascara on. Like if I close my eyes and think of what I look like, it's my face but with mascara. <laughs> it would just have to be. And it's it's funny to notice how much mascara improves my mood and I just feel 
so much more awake and so much more me. And I just, I really feel ready to take on the world when I have mascara on. So that would definitely be it. But I would try and organize a lash, a brow tint before I got sent to the (laughs) island if I could. I will allow that. Excellent choice. Thank you so much for sharing your beauty journey with me today. It has been so lovely and such a delight to talk to you. And thank you so much for your patience during our tech troubles as well. (laughs) It's been so great. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the lovely Yan. You can find where to follow her and, of course, a full list of all the products that she mentioned in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or you can sign up to my regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty for my beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you. And until next time, bye bye.